Baptist Church, it's a blessing to be here again this evening to worship the Lord and to look into His precious words. We continue our study through the Gospel according to Mark. Open your Bibles with us, please, to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10, and we will continue. Uh, we... Uh, want to get to the message of salvation, and that is our title for our sermon tonight, and we were going to just uh, begin in verses 32 and go down through verse 34, but uh, we still got a little bit to uh, cover in uh, the earlier section, and so we'll begin reading in verse number 17 and read down through verse 34. Let's pray. Our Father, now one more time we have come before you to, uh, and before your word, to, to hear from you, to hear from your word, to have your word proclaimed, and to to benefit in our spirits by the proclamation of the precious Word of God. We know that there is power and there is authority in the Word. It is the very breath of God. It's breathed out from God. And, uh, and so we know that there is, even in just the reading of it, there's help for our soul. I pray that as we read that you would enlighten our eyes and our minds, our hearts to be able to understand those things that you have uh, preserved for us through the word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken us, that we might embrace these truths that we learn tonight and put them into practice in our lives that we might live in the light of these truths. May we be willing to, to surrender all to Jesus. May we be willing to follow him and to embrace him as our only and sufficient Savior. I pray for those that are hearing. Maybe some will hear uh, this message and hear the gospel for the very first time. I pray that you would use the word to enlighten their hearts and draw them to repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's begin reading. I know we've read this a lot, but it doesn't hurt to, to uh, read the word of God over and over. Beginning in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, 
All these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, <clears throat> saith, With men it is impossible. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed, and as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered into the, unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day, he shall rise again. Well, this uh, passage of scripture that we're going to be uh, dealing with begins in uh, verse number 28. After Jesus has... Uh, uh, made it very plain, in, uh, as in our sermon this morning, that salvation is a miracle of God. It is something that cannot be accomplished by any human effort whatsoever. There's not enough money in the world or the universe all combined to buy it. There's not enough uh, uh, good works that men have 
done. There's not uh, enough uh, uh, righteousness, self-righteousness, personal righteousness in any one of us or in all of us put together to earn our salvation. Salvation is only by the grace and the mercy of God, and it is a work that only He can do. You see, there's more than just a, a contractual agreement that uh, is made when a person is saved. You uh, go to many churches, and they will have you bow your head and repeat a prayer, and, uh, and then they'll ask you to say, yes, I believe, and if you do that, then they will promise you that you have eternal life. And it will be just an over-the-counter transaction. Those same people have the idea that it really doesn't matter whether you receive Jesus as Lord or not at that point. You just receive Him as Savior, and then you can carry on living your life in your own way. And then someday down the road, you might decide to make Jesus Lord. But I've got news for you. He's not like a, uh, a buffet lunch. You can't just go down the line and pick what parts you want. And uh, Jesus is Lord. And you will accept him, receive him as Lord, or you will not receive him. And so this is, uh, this is what Jesus is saying here that this work of salvation is more than just a, a verbal transaction or a writing your uh, name and date on a line on a gospel tract or on the flyleaf of your Bible. It is a miracle of God. When God transforms you and indwells you by His Holy Spirit, and you become a new creation in Christ. That is the miracle of salvation. You become different than you were. Oh, you still will struggle with many of the same problems, and you will still have uh, uh, stumblings and failures in your life, but I promise you, you will come uh, away from that uh, experience of grace with a new desire to live right and righteously before God, and you will never, ever be able to be happy in sin again. Because he transforms you. He makes something new out of you. You are a new creation. You have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have been taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. It's all new. You've got a new federal head. You have a new nature the old nature has not been er eradicated, and that is a sad thing. One of these days it will be, but you have a new nature now. There may be a warfare going on, and there will be a warfare going on in you, but there's something new there that makes you want to fight against sin and live for Jesus. And so salvation is that kind of miracle. But there's more that Jesus uh, wants to say. And Peter, of course, he's a very vocal 
fella, and uh, and I don't know what he's getting at here when he says this because he may he may be saying, well, you know, uh, uh, we've left everything, so maybe we're pretty in pretty good shape, or he may be saying something like, "What's in it for us?" <laughs> but Peter makes this statement in verse twenty-eight. He began to say unto him, Lo, or look, we have left all. We've left everything and followed thee. In other words, they had given up their jobs, their, uh, their way of making a living. And they'd left their families, not, not abandoning their families, but they had left their uh, wives and, and families at home and... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know what the process was, whether they would make trips back home occasionally and make sure that all the needs were met. But, uh, but I do know this, that their life radically changed and their whole uh, uh, outlook on ministry and on how they uh, would survive has radically changed and they were forced in their uh, accepting of Jesus, in their following Jesus, their, they had to turn their backs on their fishing boats and on their, uh, on their way of uh, making uh, a living. And so this is something that Peter wants to know. We've left everything. What do we get? What's in it for us? And Jesus answered and said, verily. Now, here, here, here's one of those important words here. How, Amen. So be it, he said. I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life so Here's what we're what Jesus is saying here. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. It's costly to follow Jesus. It might cause you to lose some family members. You know what I'm saying? I have uh, I have some family members right now that are. Uh, they have chosen another route. And so we're not as close as we would have been if uh, they had uh, turned to Christ. We're maybe not as close as we would have been as far as our uh, relationship is concerned if I hadn't turned to Christ. But since I have turned to Christ and they have not turned to Christ, their whole worldview is completely different. And I can either say, well... I can't give up my, my children. I can't give up my, my family members. I'm going to have to just not follow Jesus. No, actually what I'm going to have to do is say, though none go with me, yet I will follow. I told you about standing there on the 
side of the uh, on the bank of the river in uh, uh, a little area outside of Juan Diaz Covarrubias in Mexico, down in the southern part of the state of Veracruz, and uh, we were baptizing some people, and I'm standing there watching them come out of the water singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And then one of the verses was, Though none go with me, still I will follow. And that is the point here, I guess, or one of the points at least, that if you follow Jesus, there's some of your loved ones that will not follow him with you. And there is going to come a time when there's going to be a separation. I hope that doesn't happen with my family members. I love my family members, but uh, whether they follow Jesus or not, whether they ever get saved or not, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to keep lifting them up to Jesus. But if they never come to Jesus, I'm still going to follow him. Still going to follow him because he's worthy. He's worth it. And the following of him is worth it. Verily, I say unto you, there's no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. So we've got a promise that uh, uh, we're going to have some things here in this world. Now, uh, many of the television preachers will tell you that this means that Jesus means for you to be rich. That Jesus means for you to have... Uh, houses and fields and wealth and all these things but that's that's exactly what he's not saying he's saying that you must be willing to pay whatever the cost is to follow him and if you do that no matter how much you give up he is going to make sure that you have enough to make it. Second Peter chapter number two, or chapter number one. Second Peter chapter number one. We preached this not very many months or years or something ago. Second Peter chapter one and verses three and four. Listen to what Peter says. He says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption 
that is in the world through lust. In other words, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what this world, uh, uh, what it cost you of this world's goods and uh, other benefits, he will see to it. He has already seen to it that we will have everything we need to follow him. I was just thinking about how that uh, I have uh, uh, I have friends and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that have come as become as close as uh, as my very own family. Uh, I have and they're scattered around. I mean, basically, I could take trips and. Uh, and not have to spend very much money on hotels and things because I've got friends. I've got brothers and sisters and mothers and houses and lands because I thought about Art and, and Russ going up to New Jersey and they didn't have to even get a hotel room. Isn't that wonderful? These things are God's riches. There are riches in serving the Lord Jesus Christ and their true riches. They're not those riches that fade away and pass away. These are the true riches. <clears throat> and so uh, we see that uh, not only is there a promise here, and, and let me say this, I, I forgot to tell you what my point was here, but the, the point is the meaning of surrender. And, and this is what Jesus is talking about here, is when you surrender to him. Surrender is a synonym of being saved. And being saved requires that you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You, re you surrender uh, to Christ Lordship over your entire life. And uh, you may, it may cost you everything you have. It may cost you just a few things. But the point is that we are to sign over the title just sign the title and give it to him and let him decide what I keep and what I give up. And he says it will be worth it. Matthew chapter 13 is one of those uh, wonderful passages of scripture. Well, let me read uh, chapter uh, <clears throat> or verses 29 and 30 uh, first. Let's see, I think I've got that in the wrong place there. No, I've already read that. Okay. Verily I say unto you, there is no man. Okay, I've already read that. I'm getting ahead of my, uh, my outline here, my notes. But uh, uh, here's another one in Matthew chapter 13, verse number 44. You remember Jesus gives the uh, parable about the man who uh, found a treasure hidden in a field. And he was so overcome with joy that he hid the treasure in the field and went and sold everything he had and bought that field. 
And then he tells another parable of a pearl of great price. That's uh, basically the same thing. He finds a pearl of great price and sells everything that he has to obtain that pearl. He's a man that seeks goodly pearls. This is what Jesus is saying to us to follow him. To follow him, we must be willing to give it all and embrace him. And when we do that, he will, he will supply our needs. Jesus was not teaching in uh, this section that, uh, that wealth is evil or that poverty is better than wealth. I'm glad he's not teaching that, aren't you? He's not teaching that uh, only the poor can be saved. But he did teach that following him is costly. You hear that? Following Jesus is costly. And wealth is often a hindrance. To follow him. Just like it was. With this young man. But he said. He's going to supply everything that we need. He'll give us all that we need. In this world. With persecutions. So. Even when he does supply the needs. There is always the fact that we're in a fallen world, the very world that hated him so desperately that they crucified him. And we're going to talk about uh, some of that, the language that he uses in just a minute about uh, how that he was misused and abused and mistreated. The hatred of God that men displayed when they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they hate Jesus, he said, if they hate me, they'll hate you also. And he was a hated man. He was a man who was hated by many, many people. The people who had the authority, the people who had the power to put him to death, hated him desperately. And they will hate us too. And persecution and loss will come to our lives. There will be things we will lose simply because we've trusted Jesus. Just like in Hebrews chapter 12 when the writer of Hebrews was talking about how that those people were suffering. They had suffered loss because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's just uh, look at it. Let me read it uh, to you for just uh, a moment. He said... Verse 32 in chapter 10, he said, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, in other words, you came to an understanding of the faith. You saw that Jesus is that Messiah that you've been looking for, and he is the one who fulfilled the law. He said, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. Partly while you were made a gazing stock 
both by reproaches and afflictions and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully, listen, took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that in yourselves, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Persecution happens. Loss happens. But a child of God is one who, uh, when persecution comes, he can look up to God and say, let her rip. <laughs> I trust in you. I know that this world is not my home. I know that I have a, a greater uh, place to go, a better place to go. I know that I have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for me. I know that. And so I'm just going to keep on keeping on, and I'm going to keep on trusting you. And often, often these uh, uh, persecutions will bring loss in our lives and the world will see our loss. They'll see our problems and we can either allow them to see us fall apart or we can allow them to see us treasure Jesus above everything else. And when we do that, and this is something I uh, got from John Piper, uh, anytime you hear somebody talking about treasuring Jesus or delighting in Jesus, you know it's probably coming from John Piper, right? But uh, that's, that's his language. But uh, when we show the world that we love Jesus more than we love the things that we've lost, it glorifies him. Are you, do you, did you understand what I just said? It glorifies him when we, when we, Prove to the world that we love Jesus more than the things we've lost. We uh, had a loss just a, a, a few weeks ago. It was, it was devastating. I mean, I, just, I can't tell you, but it was a loss. It was a, a serious thing, or at least it was serious to me. If I told you uh, how much I lost, you would think, well, that's nothing, but it was everything I had. <laughs> The, uh, but I'm not a very good example. I'm not saying that, but you know what it has done? It caused me to have to just depend on Jesus. I have to depend on him before I was depending on that little bit of money that I had put back, I was depending on that. And, you know, if I run short, if we uh, have to, uh, if we have to pay a bill or something that we weren't expecting, I've got a little nest egg. And so now, you know, you don't even have to pray about it if you've got a nest egg, right? Oh, well, okay, I'll just count out a few bills and go pay it. But then when the, you don't have anything, you have to just get on your knees and say, Lord, I don't have anything. I'm trusting you. And he's always, 
always right on time. You can trust him. We left, when we went to uh, work for To Every Tribe in 2012, I had been pastoring church for 17 years. I, I left, we walked away, we, I had no, no salary, we had nothing but the vehicle we were driving and uh, the few possessions that we had in the back of it. That's what we had. When we left, had no one promising us any kind of support at all. And, uh, and you know what I found? You can trust him. He never fails. It's like being rich when you have everything you need when you need it. Right? It's as good as being rich. And this is, I, I guess this is the point I want to get across. A power, it's a powerful testimony. It's a more powerful testimony if you're like Job and you've lost everything and you can say the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, that honors God much more than when somebody says, well, I've been trusting God for a new house and a new Cadillac. And, and you know, he gave, me, uh, he gave me everything. And matter of fact, if you'd send in an offering, I could get uh, two new Cadillacs. Does that honor God? But when somebody stands and says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It honors God. So, in all of his giving to you, he will not withhold persecution. He will not hold trials, withhold trials and troubles. And he said, then in verse number 31, but many that are first shall be last and the last first. And, uh, and the point here is from... Uh, what he's already said in chapter 9 and verse number 35, where he has uh, was telling his disciples about true greatness. <clears throat> and he said in verse 35, he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all. And servant of all. The disciples are still not getting this. Because uh, in the next section. After, after uh, the uh, uh, crucifixion section. Here in verses 32 through 34. Uh, James and John are going to ask for. A, an exalted place of authority. But Jesus is saying. Those first people. Like that rich young ruler who would assume that he was first those are the people who have the last place and the people who have nothing the people who seek jesus with empty hands or those who the world would assume would have the last place but jesus said those are the ones that have the first place and then in verse number 32 through 34, we see what the 
the message of salvation is. The message of salvation. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Now they're going to Jerusalem and he has warned them about what's going to happen. He's been telling them about what's going to happen. They don't really get it, but uh, they're scared at the same time. They're terrified at the same time. They were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Now, wonder why Jesus keeps doing this. Why does he keep telling them this, although they're not able to receive it right now? I think one of the reasons is that he wants them to understand when it happens that it was planned, that it was not an accident, that he is who he says he is, that it's been planned and orchestrated down through the centuries and the sovereign work of God in uh, uh, causing it to happen uh, was, was on purpose. God did it on purpose. They don't understand their need for a redeemer. They don't understand their need for uh, someone to bear away their sins. They don't get that. They don't get how that their Messiah, who's supposed to uh, be their great leader, is going to die on the cross. And they don't realize, they don't understand that it's all for them. But they do, they do get the fact that uh, this is a, uh, 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 that, that he is going to suffer and that uh, they're going to uh, be a part of it, that they're going to be with him. And so he says, uh, again, I got ahead of my notes. Let me read Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. This is Luke's uh, rendition of this uh, passage. Then he took, beginning verse 31, Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered into, unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of those things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. And so uh, uh, Luke adds in that all the prophets, all the things that the prophets said about the Messiah would come to pass uh, to Jesus. 
in uh, back in Mark chapter uh, 10, he says, saying, Behold, we go, verse 33, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered in unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. They shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. So this is what uh, the Jews are going to do. He's going to be handed over to the Jews. And you know how that took place. Judas Iscariot did that. And uh, the Jews are going to uh, condemn him, the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to condemn him. And that speaks of a judicial process where they, uh, they bring evidence against him. But the evidence was all manufactured. And it was false testimony that they brought against him. And they knew it was false. But they uh, sentenced him to death anyway. And, uh, and so they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. So the Jews are going to hand him over. He's going to be handed over to the uh, Jews. And then the Jews are going to hand him over to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are going to mock him or scorn him. And they shall uh, scourge him. A whip. A scourge is a whip that has pieces of metal tied into uh, or bone tied into the uh, thongs of the whip. The uh, leather thongs. And they would whip him. And, and listen. I understand that the Jews had a law that uh, uh, they couldn't give a person uh, over 40 stripes. And in just to be sure that they weren't overzealously punishing someone, they called it 39 stripes. 40 stripes minus one. It's 39 stripes. That's all that you could get if you were being whipped by the Jews. But the Romans didn't have a law like that. And they no doubt, beat Jesus until they were just tired. They beat him until his back was furrowed like a plowed field. They beat him until those bits of metal or bone or glass, whatever it was, uh, ripped into his body and tore the flesh away and caused the blood to flow down his back and sides and legs down and pool around his feet. They beat him brutally. They spit on him. They, a, a, an act of contempt for him. And they killed him. They killed him. And this is the picture of how desperately man hates God. You know, Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon one time, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But I heard someone uh, say that Calvary is the picture of God in the hands of angry sinners. And it's the truth. This is what men would do to God if they could get their hands on him. And they did get their hands on him. And that's exactly what they did. They did everything. But you see, Jesus wanted them to understand that all the prophecies 
are being fulfilled. This is on purpose. This is in God's mighty master plan. He tells them that uh, uh, all the things that the prophets have said about the Messiah will come to pass. He will enter into Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 on a, uh, on a, a colt of a donkey. And uh, you can read about it happening in Matthew 21, 4 and 5. His enemies will rage. Psalm 2 and verse says 1 through 3 said, why did the heathen rage? And it's talking about Jesus. It's messianic. Acts chapter 4 verse 25 through 28. Peter mentions that in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. We will, uh, he will be deserted by his friends he's going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver he's going to <clears throat> uh, that none of his bones would be broken that uh, he would be given uh, uh, vinegar to drink and uh, that's actually uh, prophesied in psalm 69 verse 21 that he would be pierced zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10 that he would be uh, buried among the rich isaiah 53 9 that he would rise again psalm 16 uh, talks about the resurrection and peter quotes it on the day of pentecost and uh, and that he would ascend psalm 110 Verse number one said that uh, uh, he, uh, God told the Messiah, his son, that uh, he, today thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, sit at my right hand. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. And he did go. And he did die. And he died a death. That was, uh, there were four aspects to the death, and I'll just say them very quickly because we're out of time. He died a natural death. In other words, he literally died. He did not, he did not swoon. He wasn't passed out. He wasn't just weak from the loss of blood and the loss of sleep. He didn't revive in the tomb, uh, uh, but he was... He was dead. He was stone cold graveyard dead. And if he did not die, we don't have a savior. He died a natural death and he died an unnatural death. We just read about it, how they beat him and bloodied him and brutalized him uh, so horribly. And he was, uh, he was suffering for our sins those men were the instruments in God the Father's hand. He is brutally beating sin. This is what God thinks about sin. He hates sin so much that even when his son is bearing our sins, he can't beat it enough. He died an unnatural death. He died a preternatural death or a death that it actually goes beyond anything else that we would consider death. His death actually meant something to one who is in spiritual slavery. Jesus' death means redemption, deliverance, and salvation 
To the criminal, it means pardon. To the captive, the death of Jesus means freedom. To the condemned, it means substitution. To the defiled, it means cleansing. To the alien, it means uh, uh, that he can be brought near to God through Jesus' death. To uh, To the stranger, it means being brought into the family of God. To the dead, it means life. To the debtor, uh, to the law, it means paid in full. To the lost sheep, it says that the great shepherd left the ninety and nine and went out into the wilderness and searched till he found me and threw me on his shoulders and brought me home. The death of Jesus means... <coughs> To the guilty, it means grace. To the sinner, it means my sins are gone. To the one who, uh, uh, to the one who uh, is compelled to cry, I can't. His death says, I can and I did. To the wounded and to the diseased, his death says, by my stripes you're healed. And to the heavy laden, his death says, come to me and find rest. He died a natural death. He died an unnatural death. He died a preternatural death. But thank God he died a supernatural death. He did not stay dead. Sin couldn't destroy him. Satan couldn't defeat him. Death couldn't keep him. And the stone rolled to the grave. Couldn't stop him. He arose. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd take these scattered, scattered words. I know that it's hard to follow me, and I pray, Lord, that you would just take these truths and put them into our hearts and cause us to adore our great Savior. In Jesus' name.